Well, welcome everybody. I'm so glad that you're here today. And, and uh, I want to thank Matt Proctor for uh, preaching for me last week. Did you enjoy him? Did you enjoy? Absolutely. Well, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And whatever yours looked like, whether it was socially distanced Thanksgiving, did anybody have some of those? Did, uh, did you have a Thanksgiving where you uh, didn't travel like you used to do? Or, or maybe you limited your gathering? Or maybe your Thanksgiving was no different at all. And whatever your Thanksgiving was like, I, am, I, I hope it was a wonderful one. We had a great Thanksgiving. But you know, now that Thanksgiving is behind us, you know what you are allowed to do now, don't you? You are now free to listen to any Christmas music you want, and that's what you can do. How many of you Friday morning had the Christmas music going in your house? All right, okay, quick poll of our church right now. I was just curious who's in here. This will tell me a lot about who you are today. How many of you think it's absolutely just wrong? You don't do it. You don't play Christmas music before Thanksgiving. Okay. Now, how many of you are like, I don't care. I'll play Christmas music whenever I want to listen to it. I'll listen to it all year round. All right. So about uh, 25% of you said no Christmas music for Thanksgiving. The other 20, about 50% of you could care less, it looks like. That's what I'm gathering here. You know, in our household, um, we don't really have any rules about Christmas music. My, my wife listens to it from time to time all year round. She loves it. But I'll tell you what we do have a little bit more strict parameters around, and that is when it comes to the Christmas movie Elf. You guys like that one? That's our favorite Christmas movie. And if you listen to my son talk about it, he thinks that it's absolutely wrong. You just don't do it. You don't watch Elf before Thanksgiving. So after Thanksgiving, you, there's a window of time and you can watch it all the way up to Christmas Day. But once Christmas is over, you put that DVD back on the shelf and you don't break it out again until next year. And I'll admit it, we have already watched Elf already this year after Thanksgiving, so it fit the window. But I'll tell you, I don't know, you know, what, uh, what your, your, your parameters are in your home about Christmas music or, or Christmas movie, but it doesn't change the fact that the Christmas season is upon us and we cannot enter this season. It's almost impossible to enter this season without thinking about this right here. Have you already been thinking about what you want for Christmas? If you have kids in your home or if your grandkids are over at your house a lot, no doubt they are already thinking and talking about what they want for Christmas. Well, I got a question for you, and this is to help us kind of get into this new series that we're, we're starting here today. But out of everything that there is in the world, what is it that you really want for Christmas this year? Now, just think about it for a minute. Well, out of everything that there could possibly be in this world, what do you want to have wrapped up inside this box. What do you want for Christmas? It was uh, 1980. It was Christmas morning. I emerged out of my bedroom to discover that Santa Claus had brought my brother and I two brand new bikes for Christmas. This is the picture of that day. There's our Christmas tree. This is the house that I spent the first couple years of my life in. And there's those two bikes back there. Uh, photographs have come a long way since 1980. You would agree with that, right? Oh, and it's exactly what I wanted for Christmas. It's what my heart desired. It's what my brother and I wanted that year for Christmas. And boy, let me tell you, both of these bikes, one was red and yellow. The other one was blue and silver. And, then, and I'll tell you, these bikes, they, had the, the, they were both swim bikes and they had the banana seats 
the rear fender, and they had the high handlebars with no brakes. You remember those? This is back in the day. There were no handlebar brakes. If you wanted to stop, you either put your feet down or you started to pedal backwards. Remember those? It was the pedal brakes, and, and oh, man, those were the days. Uh, it doesn't get much more late 70s, early 80s than those bikes right there. My brother and I, we rode the wheels off those bikes, literally. We had them and rode them all the way up until we got into around junior high when they became just too broken down to ride anymore. And, and I, my, my last memory of those bikes is when my brother and I, in around junior high age, uh, and a group of boys from our neighborhood, we went over to this street that was near our house and it was, it was like a really steep hill. And we wanted to see who could leave the longest skid mark down the hill. How many of you did this, okay? Well, so you start at the top of it and you pedal as hard as you can and then you get as fast as you can go and you hit the brakes and you skid. And that was great fun. Until the rear tire of my brother's bike blew out underneath them and the party was over. But I will tell you this, it was right before the tire blew, the longest skid mark we had ever seen left um, by a bike on the road. And that's the last memory I have of those bikes. Well, I'd give anything to have those bikes today. I think they're probably a collector's item, but I'm pretty sure my dad threw them in the church dumpster at church when we finally wore them out. But I'll tell you, we can all think of gadgets and toys and material stuff that we want for Christmas. But let me tell you something. If you put all that material stuff aside for just a moment, all that stuff, the gadgets, the iPhone 12s, the new set of car keys, all the stuff that you might be wanting for Christmas here, put it all aside. Let me ask you this. Now what do you really want for Christmas? What do you really want for Christmas? I'm not really a betting man, but if I was, I would bet money that no matter who you are, where you come from, or what you might be thinking about, I would bet that what you really want for Christmas, even if you don't know it, is this, hope. Now just think about that for a minute. I bet you what you really want for Christmas, you don't even know it, is hope. I don't usually look up uh, Webster for help with my sermons, but I'll tell you what, Webster gives a pretty good definition of the word hope. You know what their definition is? Hope is a desire of some good accompanied with an expectation of obtaining it. I think that's a pretty good definition of hope. Hope is a desire of some good accompanied with the expectation of obtaining it. You know who teaches us something about hope? Princess Leia. Princess Leia, you know, she taught us about hope when she sent the most famous message across the galaxy, when she sent this message to Obi-Wan, and say it with me if you know it, she said, help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're our only hope. Hope, it's her message was like, like, we need something good to happen, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and our anticipation is that you're the one that's going to bring some of that good. Consequently, did you hear that yesterday the guy that played Darth Vader passed away? I didn't know that. I woke up to that news this morning, and that has nothing to do with this sermon, but I just wanted to share with you. Darth Vader died. Let me tell you something. In light of everything that's going on this year, hope would be an incredible gift to receive, if you really think about it. 
Think about what has happened this year. Think about all that's going on. Hope, that would be an incredible thing, especially because right now, boy, there's just tons of people, and we all know, who are struggling with, with loss and disappointment. Boy, I tell you, more than in any year in my recent memory, have there been people dealing with loss and disappointment this year? I mean, difficulties anxieties. And, and we all know this about the holidays, right? Those kind of emotions, those feelings, don't they intensify greatly during the holidays? They do. More on that in just a moment, but I want to let you know today we are starting a, a new series. It's a four-part series that I'm leading up to Christmas that I'm just simply calling the best Christmas ever. And you think about that, what makes something the best ever? What would make Christmas the best ever? I can tell you this, and I think we all instinctively know this, that it's not going to have anything to do with new bikes with banana seats and rear fenders and high handlebars. It has nothing to do with any of the gadgets that, that we want to see wrapped up under the Christmas tree. It really hasn't, doesn't have anything to do with Christmas music or hot cocoa or looking at Christmas lights or the decorations. It's not about the great food. It's not about being surrounded by loved ones, although everything I've just described to you is what I love about Christmas. But what makes Christmas really the best Christmas ever? I think you can boil it down to these four words. And these four words are these, hope, peace, joy, and love. When you think about Christmas and what makes it the best ever, it's those four words, hope, joy, peace, and love. It's what makes Christmas what it is. And I tell you, this Christmas, when you think about this year, there are many things that seem discouraging. And it's in those discouraging moments, when those things where we feel like, oh, could it just get any worse? Can't just things go back to normal? It's, it's in those times, I think, is the opportunity for us to really focus on what makes Christmas great. And I can tell you, it's the foundation we go back to that really is going to make this the best Christmas ever. Hope, joy, peace, and, and love. You know, so I want to begin this series today but looking at the first piece of this foundation of Christmas. And the first word is what we've already started, hope, hope. If you know anything about Jesus' story as you read it from the Bible, you know that Jesus' arrival on the earth was a great uh, source of great hope, wasn't it? To all people. That's how they talk about Jesus in the Bible. And Jesus came at a time when the people of God were really in a season of darkness. I mean, they were, they were tormented, they were defeated. This is not a good time in the life of the Israelites, of God's people. That's in the midst that Jesus came. And you know what? I think many of us can relate to that, especially in 2020. You know, like the Israelites, we might sometimes feel like we are surrounded by darkness and we struggle with disappointment and then we struggle with some of our past mistakes and maybe some of the sin that we've gotten ourselves into or the sense of failure in our life. And it's hard to have hope when it feels like at times all we are is surrounded by darkness. But here we also know something to be instinctively true, both spiritually and physically. That the best way to eliminate darkness is to do what? To expose it to the light. And that is exactly what Jesus coming to the earth was all about. It was Jesus, the light of God, coming into what had become a very dark world. And when Jesus, when he stepped out of heaven and he came to this earth as a baby, all of these ancient prophecies about Jesus came true all in a moment. And with the birth of Jesus, there was this thing called hope 
that was introduced into the world. Now, now, Isaiah wrote about Jesus and the hope and the light and the darkness. And Isaiah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, he wrote this. The, the scripture will be on the screens behind me in Isaiah 9 2. Isaiah wrote, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, Isaiah, as I said, a great prophet of the Old Testament, gave us many prophecies about the coming of Jesus. So some would say that Isaiah is maybe the greatest prophet, but what we can all agree on is when he wrote these words, he was prophesying to a broken people. They were a people that were filled with despair. They were going through a very dark time in Israel's history. And what Isaiah was doing through the Holy Spirit was offering them hope. Specifically, that there's going to come a day when light will come and it will fill the darkness of this place. In fact, this light will shine its light all over the deepest, darkest parts of this world. Now, we have the benefit of living on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection. We have the completed scriptures. And what we know today is we can look back and, and see that Isaiah was giving us a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah into the world. That's what he's doing here. He's giving us a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. And now, like I said, we live on this side of the cross, so we can look back now and go, that prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. He came, he was born, he lived, he died on the cross, he rose to life, he ascended into heaven, and where do we stand today? We are still over here now watching for the second coming of this light into what has become an increasingly dark world. As we journey together through this Christmas season, as we move our way towards Christmas Day, I think it is important that we as a church family acknowledge something together. And I know that many of us in here already believe this. This will be an affirmation of what we are convicted about. But I think it's good at, from time to time to actually affirm what we believe. Say it out loud. And I would share this with you. And I think we need to, as we approach this Christmas, just say it together. It's this, our shared hope is in Christ alone. Do you believe that today? Our shared hope is in Christ alone. In fact, if you're taking notes, that'd be a great thing to write down, uh, type it out in your app or write it down. Put it somewhere that that's gonna be a reminder to you. Wake up every morning and remind yourself verbally, God, I thank you that my hope is in you. And I've got brothers and sisters in Christ that share that hope because hope is this foundational piece. It is a powerful piece of what Christmas is all about. So Isaiah's words about light coming into the darkness and lighting it up. I mean, that's such a powerful image that even the Apostle Paul will tap into the things that Isaiah wrote about the coming Messiah to teach the church about this same concept. I want to take you to Romans chapter 15, verse 12. You can turn there if you'd like today, or you can just follow along on the screens behind me or in the app. But this is the Apostle Paul tapping into Isaiah's words. And in verse 12, the Apostle Paul says this, he says, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up and one will arise to rule over the nations and in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Isaiah being quoted here in Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is pointing to the root of Jesse. 
That's what he says. The root of Jesse will rise up. That's an allusion. That's a, a head nod, if you will, to Jesus Christ being the source of this hope. And then after he quotes Isaiah, Paul will give us kind of a, a mini benediction or exhortation about hope and about how it works in somebody's life. And he's like, you will be filled with joy and peace and it will be an overflow of hope in your life. Now just think about that for a moment. Now just think about what Paul is saying and what Isaiah is saying about how Jesus brought light in the world and the effects it has on our lives. It's like our joy, our peace increases as we trust in Christ all the more. This leads to an overflow of this hope. There's these things that because Christ came, it bellows up in us and it begins to overflow out of our lives. That's what he's talking about. Now, let me be real clear about something. Let me tell you what he's not talking about. Paul and Isaiah, they're not talking about as favorable things happen in your life, my hope increases. That's not what he's talking about. It's not like saying, hey, every decision I make right now is falling my way. Everything in life is working to my advantage. And because everything's going my way, my hope in the Lord increases. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying at all. And he's not saying the opposite either. That, hey, when things are going not your way or things are discouraging, my hope decreases. No, that's not what he's saying either. What, what Paul is saying is when it comes to hope, when it comes to what Jesus brought in the world and what we share together, our hope resides squarely in the person of Jesus Christ. And even in the midst of very dark days and even in the midst of a troubling year like 2020 has been in many, in many ways, our hope does not fluctuate with the coming and goings of everyday life. No, our hope is squarely in Jesus Christ. And I'll give you a great example. You, everybody in here knows at least one person who is going through an extremely difficult time in their life, but they still are filled with hope and joy, like nothing's getting them down. Have you noticed people like that? Do you know what that is? That's a mature Christian who understands that my hope rests in Jesus. My hope does not ride the wave of each day. I'm with the Lord and my hope is in him. This is the kind of hope that Jesus brought that night in Bethlehem. He was the light in the darkness, illuminating this dark place. And what that means for us today is that there through the Holy Spirit can be this peace and joy that rises up and it overflows out of us in hope. And it really has nothing to do with what we are experiencing in our daily lives. It's because our hope is in the person of Jesus. So what that means is that on your absolute worst day, Christ is still for you and his light is still shining on you and through you and your life can light up any dark moment because your hope comes and is shared with Jesus. If you're still taking notes this morning, this might also be a really good thing to write down. Hope sees light in the midst of darkness. This kind of hope that we're talking about, it sees light in the midst of darkness. I get asked questions quite often, and I can boil down a lot of questions that people ask of me kind of into two foundational questions, or some kind of variation of these two questions. And the first question is this, hey, pastor, how do I know that I'm really living in the way that pleases God? I don't know if you've ever wondered something like that. It's like, hey, am I, am I doing things right in this world? Some kind of variation of that question I, I get asked from time to time. Another question is this, am I really a Christian in every sense of the word? 
I mean, and what follows that up is sometimes people say, how do I know I'm really saved? Have you wondered some of these things? These are loaded questions. These are not one-word answer questions. And oftentimes, as I have conversations with people about this, it, it leads to many good things and, and, and exploration of Scripture and all kinds of stuff. But I, I can give you, though, kind of a high-level answer to these questions. I can tell you that a good indicator of the answer for you would be this. That even in the midst of darkness, you still look to Jesus. Am I living the Christian life? Am I being what God wants me to be? Am I I following through? Am I living by the Spirit? I can tell you, when darkness comes and troubling days are there, in those moments, you still look to Jesus. Your hope is in the Lord. When things don't go your way, in those moments, you still look to Jesus. If you lose your job suddenly, you still look to Jesus regardless. If, if you encounter a sudden illness in your life, it comes out of nowhere, you know what the future holds, you still look to Jesus. If your family is in some kind of distress, in those moments, your hope is still in Christ, you look to Jesus. You're dealing with temptation or sin, it wants to creep up and, and surround you. In those moments, you still look to Jesus. Whatever darkness there may be out, you see Jesus, you don't see the darkness. You see the hope, you don't see the destruction. You, you still look to Jesus. I'll tell you, as, as a Christian, if you're living the way Jesus wants you to live, that is the response to whatever comes your way. It's a good indicator of where you might be. You know, as a pastor, I've done many, many funerals. I couldn't even begin to tell you over the last 20-something years how many funerals that I've done. And I'm so grateful that the majority, the vast majority of those funerals have been for believers. But I've done quite a few as well for people who were not believers. And, and, uh, and if you've been around New Life, you've heard me talk about this before, that there is a stark difference in the atmosphere of a funeral for a believer and the funeral of a non-believer. And if you've been to as many funerals as I have in my life, then you can relate very well to what I'm talking about. You see, the biggest difference between these two types of funerals is that in one of them, we see the light of Christ in the midst of a dark moment, in a hard moment, in a sorrowful moment. We see Jesus, but in the other one, you don't. It's not there. So when a believer dies, what happens is in that moment, we look to heaven with great hope. That's what believers do. That our hope is in the Lord, and the Lord reminds us all the time one of the great promises is that the grave is not the end. Friends, that is one of the great promises of following Jesus, that the grave is not the end, that there is more to come. And as we as believers in these moments when we lay a loved one to rest, eternal peace, who has died in Christ, we know that one day we will be with them again at the wedding feast of the Lamb. I remind people all the time at a Christian funeral that there's going to be a great reunion one day and it's going to be so wonderful as we all get back together, those who have died in Christ, that even heaven will have a hard time containing the joy of that moment. I always ask who's looking forward to that reunion in heaven. I am. It's because in those moments of great emotion and difficulty, we see the light in the midst of darkness. But when a non-believer dies, those funerals, and I've been at them 
and I've presided over them. Boy, they are heavy with darkness. And no matter what, even at funerals for non-believers, I try my breath, my best to shine the light of Christ into that moment. Because I don't know if you ever think about this, but when a preacher preaches at a funeral, he's not preaching to the person laying in the casket. He's preaching to the people who are living. But those moments can be awfully difficult. It's going to be hard for you to relate to, but I've actually had family members of the deceased who have met with me to plan the funeral, and they have looked me in the eye, and they've said, Preacher, no mention of God from you, no talk of Jesus. You better not try to turn this into a revival. I've had family look me in the eye and say, no scripture, no prayer. And it makes me say, then what the heck am I doing here? You don't need me. I could share some stories with you. My wife can tell you about the day I came home from a funeral of a family I did not know, but it was obvious they were all lost. And I got a call one day from a funeral home in our area and just said, hey, we've got a family here and we need a preacher and they don't have anybody, would you come? And to me, I kind of look at those as opportunities. But boy, dark. It's the only time in my life where I left an environment like that. And I was physically fine, but I felt sick. It was a spiritual sickness. It was like a, I don't want to sound all weird, but it was almost like a spiritual manifestation of darkness. It was hard. It lasted the whole day. Hope, what we have in Christ sees light in the midst of any darkness and, and as only Christians, friend, I'm telling only Christians can see the hope of the Lord through any darkness. Only Christians can see that. And I'm not just talking about at funerals. That's just an extreme example. I'm talking about in all walks of life. And you know, the more that you mature in your faith in the Lord, the more natural it will be for you to see the light of Christ and to see this hope in any dark situation. And I would say this, that one of the goals, if not the goal of every single follower of Jesus in this room is this, to let Christ live in you and to shine through you. In fact, if you're still taking notes, why don't you write that down? I can tell you, if you don't have any goals in life, I just gave you one. One of your goals, if not the goal as a Christian, is to let Christ live in you and to shine through you. And I think it's important for us to remember this and to verbally acknowledge this. I know many of you believe this. But to acknowledge again what it is you're really all about. You, you see, the Bible talks about when you choose to follow Christ, there is a change that takes place in your heart. We might call it a transformation or conversion. Something changes, something happens. The Bible says that you become something brand new. And there's words that's attached to it. You become a brand new creation in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And what, uh, being a brand new creation, a conversion, a transformation has taken place. That means that all of a sudden you have some new motivation about your life. You have some new motives that drive your everyday existence. There's some new desires that come in and take over the old ones. You have new goals that overlay the old goals and they take over. You have a completely different outlook on life. The Apostle Paul describes this transformation this way in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He says, I have been 
crucified with Christ. In other words, I put to death all that other stuff. It, it went to the cross with Jesus. And I no longer live, but here's the transformation. Christ now lives in me. The life I live now, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It, it's like this, as your faith grows, as you go down this life, as your knowledge of God's word, as you mature as a Christian, you begin to see more of this overflowing of hope in your life. It's the hope that Jesus brought all those years ago when Mary and Joseph, after he was born, they wrapped him in, in these clothes and they laid him in the manger and they just stared at him as new parents often do. They just stare at their baby. And I can only imagine what Mary and Joseph were thinking about as they stared at the newborn Jesus that night. I think two thoughts. This is amazing. And the second thought is, what did we get ourselves into? I'll tell you, this, this past year has put hope to the test for many Christians. It really has. This is like the first year in a long time that I can actually point to a lot of things that just are not going good, <laughs> you know? Has 2020, has it been an increase in your life of the overflowing of hope and peace and joy? Or has it been a retreat into discouragement, darkness, and sadness? I'm talking about a kind of hope that as you mature, it helps you see the light in any dark situation. And here's a good thing to ask yourself. If I am retreating more into despair, discouragement, and sadness, then let me challenge you today that maybe it's time for you, and, and you know, I, I don't know for sure, but maybe, I'm giving you something to think about. Maybe it's time for you to say, I'm going to start combating that with more hope and focus on Jesus. I'm going to spend more time in the Word, more time on my knees, and more time with shared people with faith. Because I think as you mature, like what, what Paul said in Romans 15, 13, he said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. In other words, it's like this daily thing. It's like every day I wake up saying, I trust you, Lord. And, and maybe you find yourself saying more like despair and sadness and sorrow as this year has crept along. Maybe it's time to wake up tomorrow morning and say, Lord, it's a new day. My trust is in you. And I have mentally thought this and I've said the words and I've given my life to you. But I'm waking up and I'm actually going to verbally affirm to you today, Lord, my trust is in you. And as the day goes on, say, when I have these feelings of darkness and sadness, I'm going to put this stuff to prayer and I'm going to take those captives. I'm going to make them obedient to Jesus, as the word says. And I am going to forge ahead because what my desire is, as, as my hope in you increases, so does my joy, so does my peace. Because Lord, what I want more than anything is to mature to the point where there, through the Spirit, there's this overflowing of hope that comes out of me and the whole world sees. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I tell you, think back to Luke chapter two. Think about those earliest days of Jesus's life. 
In those earliest days, his parents, Mary and Joseph, they, they take Jesus to the temple. This was all according to the customs of that day and the laws, and they're gonna present Jesus at the temple. And there's this man there at the temple. His name is Simeon. Do you remember this part of the Luke chapter two story? Simeon is there, and you see, Simeon greets them at the temple, and Simeon was given a promise by God that he would not die until he was able to see with his own eyes the coming Messiah. God, what a promise! Can you imagine receiving this promise from God? Simeon, you will not die until you see these prophecies fulfilled in the coming Messiah. What an incredible promise. Here's how it went down. If you look at Luke chapter 2, verse 27, moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. And when, his, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now just think about this moment. Here's this man. For years he had been told, you will not die until you see the coming of the Lord. And here he is holding this infant. How did he know that this was the one? He just knew. God told him. But everything that he had longed for and he had hoped for and he had dreamed about and thought about all of these years is coming together in this moment. He's holding this Jesus and he immediately praises God. What does he say? Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Do you hear the hope in Simeon's words? For years, he waited for God to fulfill his promise. For years, he lived every day for that one moment, the hope that was gonna be attached to seeing the Messiah. And think about the life that Simeon had to have lived. No matter what difficulties came into his world, no matter what hardships that he encountered, he was living for the moment when he would see his hope realized, living every day. Can you imagine being Simeon? It doesn't matter what life throws at me because one day I get to see the Messiah. What could be better than that, friends? That is the hope that we're talking about. That God's promise would be fulfilled. I get to see Jesus. And I would suspect that everybody that came along Simeon's path throughout the course of the day would see the joy and the hope and the peace that just overflowed out of him. Because he saw it in everything. I just got to believe he saw it in everything. How could he not? Oh, this is bad. But one day I get to see Jesus. That's hope. Let Christ live in you and shine through you. It should be the goal of every Christian. We have this hope. And finally, one other thing I want to share with you today before we go. It'd be this. Don't hide it. If Christ lives in you, let it shine through you. Don't hide the light. I, I would challenge you to be a lighthouse Christian. We all know what a lighthouse does, right? That's a simple thing. It shines light out into the darkness. And there's really two main purposes for a lighthouse today. One, it's, it's, it's a navigational aid. It helps ships see where they're at and it gives them points of reference. But you know what else it is? It, it, it's, it's to warn boats of danger. Hope is a lot like a lighthouse. Hope helps us guide us through uncharted waters in life. Hope teaches us something about the unknown. It helps us navigate things that are unknown. Hope helps us in dangerous territory. 
Not only does it help us like that, but we are to share it with others. How? Through an overflow of our lives. The apostle Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared, he said, to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the what? The hope that you have. We gotta be in a position to always give an answer about the hope, this hope we have in Jesus, this hope of what comes next, this hope that this life is not all that there is, this hope of heaven, this hope that this is a dark, difficult day, but Jesus is stronger, this hope that he will see me through it. Always be prepared to share that kind of hope. Lighthouse Christians. Jesus said it like this when he was walking on the earth in Matthew 5, 14. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You really are a lighthouse to a broken and lost world. So don't hide your light. Just let it shine like Jesus said. Let the hope of Christ light you up so bright that others can't help but come to you and say, what is it about you that makes you different than everybody else? And in that moment, you can say, it's this hope I have in Jesus. It's this overflow of what the Lord has done in my life. You know, when I think about the best Christmas ever, when I think about what truly is gonna make this Christmas great, it will be rooted in hope, rooted in hope. And I hope your Christmas is rooted in hope because there's no greater gift we can give to those around us than to share with them the eternal hope of Jesus Christ. And when we believe strongly that God will come through on all of his promises to us, I tell you, when we believe that so strongly, that's when we are stirred to let this hope that Paul's writing about in Romans just spill out from us. So I hope that you choose hope this Christmas and that that hope become contagious. Here as we close, let me share a little story or a little quote from you from C.S. Lewis, the great Christian theologian. He, he said this about hope. He said, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. It's easy to be overwhelmed by the state of things. But don't lose heart because Jesus has overcome the world. So let me go back to my original question. What do you really want for Christmas? What is it that we really need for Christmas? I think we need to stop believing that things will never change. I, I think we need to choose to find hope in the promises of God. We, we need to believe that Jesus' birth changes everything. We need to believe that each and every day we can defeat the darkness around us by living in the hope of Jesus Christ every single day. So let me tell you, what do you want for Christmas? I hope that you choose 
hope and that you share it with others. This coming week, I want to give you a challenge. Who do you find yourself spending the most time with? Is it your family? Is it your coworkers? Is it the friends? Is it the, the barista down at Starbucks? Who do you spend the most time with in a week? Consider ways, when you leave here today, consider ways that you might be able to share just a little bit of that overflowing of hope out of your life with them. And you know what, if you're running a little low on hope today, I'd like to pray for you. Will you join me? Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray for anybody in this room today that's just running low on hope. Lord, even would say, if they're being honest, walked in here today filled with discouragement, filled with sadness, filled with doubt. Maybe even wondering if things can move forward. No, Lord, I just pray right, I don't know who they are, but I just pray God specifically that right now your Holy Spirit be heavy on them. that, Lord, you would just come alongside of them right now and let them know. Let them know, Lord, that you know who they are and you know their name and you know where they live and you know everything there is to know about them and you know the darkness that surrounds them. Remind them, Lord, that it's the very reason that you came to this earth is because God loved you so very much that he sent his one and only son. Lord, I pray that you give us strength today. Lord, I pray that you give us a measure of perseverance we haven't seen in a while or experienced. Lord, I pray you give us a sense of hope like we haven't had for a while. Lord, I pray you give us a sense of peace. Lord, I pray that these things begin. It's even a little seed, but it begins to sprout and grow. And that, Lord, through your spirit, you'll water that seed and it would grow and it would become an overflowing of hope and peace and joy. Lord, I pray that specifically for anybody here right now that's lacking Oh, Father, we love you so much. And Lord, we couldn't begin to express how grateful we are that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. But Lord, that changed everything. Lord, you brought light into the world. And Lord, when it seemed dark, no, you illuminated the darkness, Lord, and you called the world unto you. And Lord, we are recipients of that calling and so very grateful for it. Lord, as we approach Christmas, Lord, help us to truly see what it is we really need to see. Lord, help us to desire what it is we really need this Christmas so that it may very well be the very best Christmas we've ever had. In Jesus' name.